The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, and welcome to the Kyle Coster Show with me, Kyle Coster. We've got a big one for you this week, including some important show news that was supposed to stay behind the scenes. Uh, but honestly, you've seen the headlines. You've, uh, you've seen Andrew Marshan over at the New York Post and some of the other big sports media reporters alluding to it and uh, to address the rumors... Yes, they're true. Kevin has a new role around here. It's complicated. You know, we saw the messages. We saw the panic. Um, but just to ally those fears, the show's remaining the same. And um, Kevin's compensation will, you know, and I can't stress this enough, it's going to remain static. So that's kind of what's going on. Um Actually, you know, this this all kind of stemmed from a phone call earlier this week that given the choice, I would uh, I would prefer had stayed private. But, um, you know, what happened, happened. So here's the call. Kevin, we're a few episodes in, and I think it's responsible of us to kind of take the temperature of the show, um, react to some feedback that we've gotten early on. And one of the things that's really stood out to me is, and I don't know if you have reverse engineered this situation. I, I don't, I wouldn't trust you as far as I could throw you. So I think that this, the proliferation of this Allen Hive online, I. I'm a little bit dubious that that's all on the up and up, but anyway, they are passionate and they have a lot of questions about your role in this show, both now and going forward. And because I, the whole point of this show is to highlight people that I, that I enjoy being with, that I enjoy their work, uh, doing something creative together. I think it is time for you to, you know, branch out, grow your wings, take flight, expand your role a little bit. So I probably should have done this offline, but since we're both so busy, we'll just do it on air here. Sure. Um, one of the things that I would like for you to do um, and shepherd and be in charge of is we've had some great guests early on and I thank everybody for their time. Got a lot of good feedback about that. Everybody we've had 
uh, I can safely say is better at everything than me. And that will remain a theme going forward. Um, but the, the podcast world is such a crowded field that a, a real great guest can make a big difference. So I would like you to take charge of the booking going forward. Yeah, I'm in. So, um, you know, normally 41 year old unpaid interns don't take on such high and lofty uh, responsibilities. So first, I, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. I mean, when I signed on to donate my time, talent and effort and, and pulled along uh, the Allen Hive, uh, as as my fans are calling themselves on the internet, uh, I, I knew that there was a potential for growth. I'm going to have to be honest with you. I have zero talent for booking people on shows. I, I'll be just 100% transparent. However, I am a devotee of the Larry Sanders show uh, starring Gary Shandling. Um, ran for, I think, six seasons back in the, back in the 90s. And uh, one of the characters on there played by, masterfully played by Janine Garofalo. Uh, is the character of Paula, who is the booker for the Larry Sanders show. So everything I know about booking guests comes from Paula. So I'm going to start with Mimi Rogers and see if we can get Mimi Rogers on the show. See, I was a little bit concerned that this is what would happen. I, I know your propensity to take things that you've seen in popular culture and immediately think that you need to co-opt them and learn the lessons there. So one of the things that I took the liberty of doing, and I, and I hope I hope this is not a reflection that I don't believe in you. I just think when you're endeavoring on a new project, it's always great to talk to experts. Uh, so one of the things that I did is I, I tapped in and I reached out to some of the best in this field to get some tips uh, to troubleshoot any problems, just basically get their perceptions of what you're going to be up against. Uh, sure. They were gracious with their time. We're going to play the interviews after this. I encourage you to listen. I encourage everybody to stick around and, and listen. You've come this far. What else do you have to do today? Um, you know, I've been I've been planning to listen to the podcast ever since we started making it. And you wrote, what is the name of the podcast? Um, it's, um, it's Kyle Coster show with me, Kyle Coster, my friend Featured, Kevin. But featuring my, my friend Kevin, right? No, I'm not. I'm nowhere in the. Well, I know that I've just stepped out of the 41 year old unpaid intern role into 41 year old unpaid talent booker role, but I mean, name on a marquee is kind of always been one of my, you know dreams um and i, I don't want to make it awkward but if, I no, mean, even if, even if we just put it up there take a picture of me for instagram and then take it down i'd be i'd be okay with that too yeah i think we could arrange that i mean i look you know i respect you what i was told when it came to the graphic and the art um and the title card of this particular podcast, I was told, and, and I really, I pushed back hard on this, um, that there just wasn't enough space, uh, finite amount of space. Letters can get big. 
And that was the scientific term that our art department told me. Can you tell, can uh, well, you tell me who you pushed back with? What that what that person's name is? Well, I think push back. I think it was David and um, Charles, and then there was this uh, Samantha. And so Damon, I think Charles, you know, and Samantha. Damon, Charles, and Samantha. You know, I know everybody over at the big lead, and I know them well. And I don't know anybody named Damon, Charles, or Samantha. Huh. Hmm. It's weird. Something uh, must have happened with the recording there. I, you know, I had gone on and I gave Kevin a very thorough and thoughtful uh, explanation for the misunderstanding. In the end, we agreed that I was right and he was wrong, that he had overreacted, that I had underreacted. Um, but, you know, that's technology, uh, especially this year of all years. You can't count on it. What are you going to do? If you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach a man to fish, he'll eat forever. With this in mind, I sought out the best and the brightest in the field of booking. I thought that they could give me tips that I could then share with Kevin. It seems simple. And unlike some of my previous podcasts, it was simple. My first call was a no-brainer. Todd Fritz is a producer at The Dan Patrick Show. He previously worked at WFAN in New York, KMPC in Los Angeles, and at ESPN. He's the person everyone who does the job aspires to be. I think you're identified in the, in the Jim Miller book. Uh, I think he gives you a great shout out as being one of the best bookers of talent that's ever gone through ESPN. I'm just kind of curious, how do you develop a special skill like that? And what do you look for um, when it comes to getting compelling guests on, on the shows that you've worked on? And how could uh, like a podcast like mine apply the information and the lessons that you've sure. learned? Um, well, I started at uh, WFAN in, as an intern in, while I was a junior at NYU. And I was always amazed, you know, being around Mike and the Mad Dog and Steve Levy, and there was a gentleman named Stan Martin, who was kind of the leader that would do a lot of the newscasts, and and just uh, and then I ended up working with uh, Ian Eagle, and there was Ed Coleman and Dave Sims, Steve Summers, Joey Mack, if some of those names ring a bell, and that was really at the height of the uh, fame and power of WFAN. They had just started, I believe, like in '87, and just a couple years in, I was able to. Uh, land an internship and I watched in particular, I was less interested in uh, what the hosts were doing and more in the behind the scenes and the producers and their process, as you mentioned, of how they're tracking down guests. I was always fascinated by that. Just like I used to watch uh, Up Close with Roy Firestone, which I ended up having an opportunity to work on that show when I moved from New York to LA. Like how are they, you know, what, what is involved with that? And I, and I just found that very fascinating. And once I got the internship and then I got an opportunity to uh, start producing some shows and booking guests and learning the tact involved and how you try to balance being not being too aggressive and pushy where your name gets associated with being a pain in the neck or something, but also, you know, you still got to do your job and everyone's going after these same people and these newsmakers. How do you juggle that? And they don't teach that many textbooks, as you know, in our line of work, a lot of it is, you know, hands-on training and just experiences and covering events and talking to PR people and agents and marketing managers or however you can get to these people and develop your Rolodex and contacts and the trust. It also helps when you work with uh, legends like Dan Patrick 
like when you're call, you're not just calling for Frank and the Hedgehog in Arkansas or something like that. Like this is the Dan Patrick show, and I've worked my way up and have been. Uh, able to uh, work in big markets with some of the top talent in the industry. And it certainly helps my approach and ambition in trying to track down the newsmakers and getting that get, that good get that we talk about that everyone's going after and being able to say you're working with Roy Firestone or Jim Lampley or Dan Patrick or some of the others that I've had an opportunity to work with that uh, you would hope seals the deal. And I always talk to Dan about that. And we've discussed that over the years, you know, if I'm setting them up, you know, and he's knocking them out of the park to use a, uh, you know, a baseball analogy. If I, you know, the way he's such a great interviewer, it's on me to get those newsmakers. I put that pressure on myself. I've got to get, if not the number one person that everyone's looking to talk to, who's the next best or the next best person, the most interesting person to talk about that subject or topic that's going on. And I know Dan will do his part and do an amazing interview. So that's kind of how I've always looked at it. Like I'm working on the Oprah Winfrey show or Letterman or Leno, or just, you know, make a list of all the biggest name shows and interviewers that I look at our show as the sports version of that. And I've got to deliver for Dan so he can shine and do what he does best by getting the right people on the show. What are some of the first lessons you learn in the school of hard knocks? Because like Ooh. you said, it's <laughs> just, it's not exactly like you're tasked with this responsibility initially. I'm assuming you were just like, I know how to do this. I'm assuming there was uh, oh, yeah. you know, a pretty steep learning curve. And you Major, have to, I assume you probably have to have pretty thick skin. You well. do. And I'm very, I'm very sensitive and I don't have that thick skin. I've developed more of a thick skin, but I'm nowhere near what I'd like to be where, you know, you care about other people's feelings. You want your name associated with good things for what I do for a living and to be at my best, I have to have my name associated. When when they see an email from me or a text message or a call, I don't want them to roll their eyes and go, oh, Fritz again, I can't deal with this guy. <laughs> I want it to be, oh, you know, I have a good relationship with this guy. I trust him. He works hard. He's trying to, you know, get the biggest guess he can. I understand why he's calling. He's always tactful. He'll send a copy of the interview. He's always uh, appreciative of the efforts on the other end. You know, I always put myself, I like to anyway, put myself in the shoes of the person on the other end. And what's the best way to word this email, this text? Uh, so I don't come across too aggressive and pushy. How much time do you wait for them to get back to you? You know, and there's no way of really knowing that. And, and it's funny the way you worded that question. I've been in that situation when I moved to LA to help start an all sports radio station, KMPC from FAN. Uh, Len Weiner was the program director at WFAN. And long story short, he said, you know, because um, there was a lot of young people at FAN and I wasn't moving along as fast. I was like, I was cutting tape in the middle of the night, working on the I Miss in the Morning program, working with Mike Breen and doing all kinds of stuff. But I was, I felt like I was ready to take that next step and all of a sudden I get a call late one night saying would you move and I had never been on an airplane before would you leave uh, Brooklyn New York and Brighton Beach Coney Island and come to Hollywood and start an LA sports radio station they have the Rams Angels Clippers UCLA you'd be producing Jim Lampley's show so I went out there and then I learned right away that I think I was annoying the Clippers PR director a little much. Like, I think it was Larry Brown. Maybe I was trying to get on the head coach at the time. And I learned that, you know, you got to give these, you know, these PR directors and agents some time to breathe just because they haven't gotten back to you in a half hour. <laughs> doesn't mean they should keep calling them back and saying, so is he coming on? I was trying so hard to impress and get those big name guests early on to impress whether it was Jim Lampley or the program directors or executive producers or general managers that you, I learned right away, you know what, you got to take a step back and don't be a pest. You, you know, you could be aggressive, but, and again, to this day, maybe I haven't completely figured that out. There's no formula for it, but where do you uh, step back? You know what? I haven't heard back from so-and-so. There's enough time gone by where I can just nicely reach back out a second time and say, just wanted to check back. Or is it, did I not let enough time go by and now I'm being a pain in the neck? How does that all work? 
And I know, and they've got other things to do also. And they're getting requests from lots of other stations and shows and people, and they don't need to hear from me 15 times, but they have been a number of cases. Or if you go around someone and you're supposed to go through the team and you hadn't heard back and then you try to get cute early on, I would, you know, well, I'll go to the agent or I'll go to someone else. Or I think I have a direct number. I'll call the hotel room because the player is, in, is I know where they're staying. There's, there's ways you can you know, be cute and uh, try to get your man or your woman, but you run the risk of hurting relationships and that you don't want to do. Whatever a short-term gain by getting that guest and you piss somebody off and now you know you're on their list of people that they're not going to want to deal with what have you really accomplished for that one segment of that one day so i always think of all those things moving forward how i can do my job to the best of my ability and still play nicely with everyone and be held you know in a respectable high regard which isn't always uh, easy when you got to be super aggressive in uh, booking guests it seems like in your line of work you would be prone to overthinking it uh, and, yes. and overanalyzing it has is that something that you learn to live with or is it well, you have to but you have to because a lot of times um you're calling for less than pleasant reasons someone got traded to a team they didn't want to go to someone's holding out someone's being accused of taking performance enhancing drugs someone you know a lot of times unfortunately that's just the way journalism is some of the uh you know some of the headlines are not always hey you won the championship or whatever or, or something wonderful happened you got some special award and you got to walk uh, you know you got to you know, tiptoe and walk carefully because they know on the other end why you want to have that person on and you're not looking to cause problems or put someone in an uncomfortable position. But if someone has a story to tell and it's not always flattering and it's not always positive, again, having someone like Dan Patrick as the host, I know he's gonna handle it professionally and I can sell that for lack of a better word to the PR person that this is the show to be on and this is gonna be handled, it's not gonna be gotcha journalism. We're not gonna, we're not trying to be cute and get that person to say something they were gonna regret so that we can play sound bites all over the news over and over again or take something out of context. Knowing I have Dan in my corner and some of the other hosts that I've worked with on both coasts over the years, I can feel comfortable, regardless of what the subject matter is, they're going to handle it well. So I don't have to get that uncomfortable email or call after the interview. Like, what was that all about? Or you tricked us or you said you weren't going to talk about that. Or why did he, you know, he or she say that that way? I, I, it's very it's a lot easier to do my job knowing that I've got a very professional, classy, smart interviewer that's going to handle the subject matter and word things in the uh, proper way. So the guest doesn't feel uncomfortable. And now the guest doesn't want to come on again. The people that represent that guest and other guests that we're going to have on in the future, you got to think about all those things. Now that if they don't want to have any of their clients on in the future because of how we treated one of their guests or they felt it was unfair. These are all things that are always spinning in my head as I go forward. And you know, what, what's the gain and loss of, to getting a particular person on, on a particular day and how hard to push for that person. Yeah. And I'll add another layer to it. I'm sure the situation has arisen before where you have a guest on and they give an interview and for whatever reason, what comes out of the interview, the, the social clip or the noteworthy thing that they said gets spun through, you know, sites like mine or other sites, and perhaps it doesn't properly convey what the guest was trying to do, or it doesn't reflect on the performance they wanted to give. Uh, Is that ever caused an issue for you guys when it's kind of stuff like out the second life of whatever they said kind of gets spun out? Yeah, no, it's very well said. I know exactly what you're saying. And sometimes things get translated in an unfair way. It's not that it's intentionally taken out of context, but everything, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the term because you've been in the business a long time, clickbait. And like all of a sudden something's a headline or we see something on a sports website, you know, or or sometimes the cute way of getting around that is you put like a headline and then you put question mark and that somehow protects you, uh, protects you from, you know, 
any legal issues or being unfair because you just put question mark like Mahomes to the Lions question mark whatever it is it's like someone says something in passing and they may say tongue in cheek and thankfully we're on radio and TV so you could sometimes see the facial expression but when you see something as you know just a, a quote standing alone and you don't necessarily hear how the, the context of the interview or what came right before or after it and that's happened for years not just our show that happens I'm sure all the time in newspapers radio TV and all types of uh, journalism but you know that seems to come out a lot in sports it's like you know and then I feel bad because so and so you know I don't have a great example right now but that person didn't say that he doesn't want to be on the team anymore that person didn't really trash talk uh, he wasn't looking for bulletin board material he wasn't saying something mean about the linebacker on the box or whatever he said you know it, that was said in jest that was playful and asked the question like we had Scotty Miller on here's an example and you may remember and he asked who's who's the fastest player I'm paraphrasing but basically Scotty Miller was saying that he thinks he's the fastest because you know he's got confidence in himself it was nothing against Tyreek Hill or any other of the fastest wide receivers in the NFL but of course you can play with that and make it look like oh he's talking trash bulletin board material Scotty Miller thinks he can beat Tyreek Hill in a race and he's the best player and you can just go in all kinds of directions and that, then I have to get that sick feeling in my stomach am I going to get a hear something back from Scotty Miller's agent or Buccaneers PR or someone from the team saying hey what do you and it wasn't us it was something that was just said Dan didn't trick him into saying anything but you'll see a headline and then it makes it sound you know like it's totally blown out of proportion and it's you know that's unfair sometimes but that you have to live with that and all I could do is hope that I'm not going to get that awkward call and if I do you know all I can say is you know we can show them a copy of it and they can see for themselves that we weren't egging somebody on or how can I get so-and-so to say something bad about that Dan has said that from day one I've been working with them it'll be 19 years in June which I'm very proud of by the way on the Dan Patrick show back to the ESPN radio Rob Dibble show on Salisbury days and it's one thing that Dan feels very strongly about and he knows you know we want to have these people on again and there's nothing to gain by trying to make someone look foolish or making them uncomfortable he's going to ask the questions that the people that are tuning in would ask if they were doing the show he's always concerned about that how do i do the perfect interview he'll listen back to interviews and he's very critical of himself oh why didn't i ask it that way or i should have maybe asked that first and then waited to get into that topic he's always thinking about the best way to uh, present the show and to handle his uh, interviewing responsibilities what, what can i get out of the guest we like to ask fun unique interesting questions that aren't the same x's and o's that's not our show we'll get to the uh, you know the point spread and you know and what do you have to do to beat this team or whatever that's you know some obvious questions that everybody does but what makes our show stand out and that's what i liked about back in the up close days in hollywood with firestone is we'll ask some of those things where you get to know the person and just things that you know their favorite music what's on their ipod or just what their eating habits are or just you know he'll like to ask could you beat up so and so in the octagon there's just all kinds of wacky questions and i love and i think the guests appreciate that too the stick of being asked the same locker room mic in your face x's and o's questions he takes our guests all over the place where you get to know the human being and strip them off their uh, their jersey and just feel like you're kind of sitting at the bar and let's just get to know who you are if you take your helmet off and let's kind of have some fun and i love that and it makes me work even harder to get those guests on and now time to pay the bills What is a normal process when it comes to booking a guest? When does that process start? And what steps do you do you have to do in order to secure someone coming on the show the next day? Sure. No, it's, it's 24-7 without being dramatic. We're not doctors or anything. We're on call. But, you know, news changes every day in the sports world. And, uh, you, you know, 
you know, sometimes I feel not guilty, but it's weird. You go to sleep and there's different time zones. If I'm, if I go to bed at 11 o'clock, it's only eight in the West coast and all kinds of things can happen in the sports world by the time I get up in the morning. And now it may have changed the whole rundown or guests that we thought were relevant to the next day's show. Maybe one of them is maybe a couple of them we have to reschedule, which I hate doing because, you know, they go out of their way to, but, you know, having Harold Reynolds on after a big football trade, you know, there's, you want to book a few guests in advance if possible. It's a three hour show. We like to ideally, you know, there's no formula. It doesn't have to be that way, but if we can have a guest each hour, you know, that's uh, always great. But sometimes we've had two guests. We've had one guest. They'll tease me sometimes when I wasn't able to get any guests based on who we were trying to get on. And we don't just put anybody on the show just to fill a segment as to, you know, make sense. But um, the process is basically it's ongoing. We're constantly texting each other and emailing each other about guest ideas. You know, the morning meeting, we're not only going over what we're going to talk to the guests that have been booked about, but who else maybe who should we have on? As soon as the show is over at noon Eastern, before everybody goes their separate ways or starts, you know, doing their own thing to prepare, you know, their roles and responsibilities for the next day. It's very collaborative. You know, we start talking about, is there anybody we want to already, you know, look into for the next day in the coming days that we know are going to be timely no matter what. If it's the NBA playoffs, you know, you could have a, a Reggie Miller or a Shaq or a Barkley or whoever it is, and that'll work pretty much any day. And then if there's breaking news, we can surround that guest with others. But the process is, we, some guests are booked weeks in advance. Some guests are booked for the next day or two. Some guests are booked minutes before they come on. I try to avoid that because I want to be fair to people's schedules and I don't want to come across as arrogant. We're the Dan Patrick show. You're supposed to stop everything you're doing when we call and you have nothing else to do but wait for, for me to call and book you on the show. I don't want to reach out to ESPN PR at 930 in the morning during the live show and say, hey, can Dan Orlovsky come on at 10 o'clock? It's, you know, it's not fair. Even if he is available, that's not the right thing to do. Like, so who can you know, we get on? There are certain friends of the show, you know, maybe you could do that with a Chris Sims or a Tony Dungy or Reggie Miller or Peter King or some regulars, for lack of a better word, that come on often. Mike Florio, you can, and Ross Tucker, they, you can get, reach them on short notice and they're willing to stop what they're doing and come on. But I don't like to get in the habit of expecting a network PR staff for someone to go try to bother someone on our behalf with like no notice. That's not, uh, that's not cool. I just want to be super sensitive to that because that's just not the way we like to, uh, to do business. And I wouldn't like that if I was on their end calling me and I got to go reach out to one of our talents, you know, and say, hey, what are you doing in 20 minutes from now? The Dan Patrick show wants you. That's not great. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, you know, you have, people are so busy, like everybody you're dealing with is extraordinarily busy. And that's one thing that people should always keep in mind. Um, and you can't thank them enough for taking time to schedule. They're not getting paid. Maybe they're promoting a book or an, a column they have coming out or whatever it is. Super Bowl week, obviously, is a big week to promote your Gatorade or your, your whatever company you're pitching a product for. And we, I always give them the opportunity if they want to, you know, plug their foundation or whatever it is. That's the least we can do in return, you know, for not getting a fee and, and coming on. And, and a lot of them hopefully want to come on the show and talk to Dan and it's good promotion for them and whatever they're doing. But I just always like to be, I rather always err on the side of caution and sensitivity and not assume that everyone's just waiting around for me to pester them and call them to come on the show. They've got lives and they're, and especially ESPN and some of these networks where they do, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, the car wash. I worked at ESPN for many years where they have their talent doing like 10 different shows. They go from this one to PTI to sports center to around the horn to they're just like ESPN news and they're all over the place. And that makes it, me want to be even more sensitive to their schedules if they're going to be all day on all these other platforms you know i don't want to add to their uh, misery or aggravation of all the different places they're being pulled to so how do you ensure that you are finding guests that are going to both elevate the show but also present like a wide spectrum of of viewpoints 
That's a great question. We look at things like, you know, and it can't just be news value. And Dan has told me many times, it may look good in a rundown to get that A-level guest, but that person could be a terrible interview. And, and that doesn't give you, that gives you little sound bites and they almost look like they're doing your favor coming on. You're better off getting the beat writer that covers the Saints or this columnist or someone who covers the team or a reporter or a broadcaster. And it may not be the juicy name or the average person may not have heard so-and-so from the New Orleans Times picky union. Just in general, you can have that big name athlete on and then it's like a dud. They, they're giving, you know, coach speak or they're giving little, little sound bite. They're not talking full sentences. They look like they're just not in the mood to... Uh, to talk, they're not being engaging. We want someone that tells stories, that's personable. You don't have to be a comedian. You don't have to make us crack up. You don't have to talk, you know, you know, endlessly. But someone that understands the art of the interview and what we're trying to accomplish here. You know, you, you, you don't come on looking like you're doing us a favor. Like you know, talk to Dan, answer his questions. We're going to have some fun. We may ask you a few questions that are a little uncomfortable, but we they have to be asked journalistically because Dan would look bad. The show would look bad. People tuning in, you know, are going to be like, how are they not asking him about? You know, you have to. And Dan is so professional. He's done this for so long. He knows the way to word things in a way so the person doesn't feel like they're being attacked or on the defensive. And we're having a conversation, but you got to give something back. You know, when Dan comes out of the room sometimes, the, 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 the telltale signs for me, and I'm sure I'd, I'd be shocked if a guest or a PR person didn't pick up on that. An interview that would normally be an eight to 10 minute segment is all of a sudden three minutes. Or, you know, Dan says goodbye to them a little early, or he'll come out into the into our side of the glass and he'll kind of give me that look because I booked it or I may have convinced him, hey, we should put so-and-so on and it didn't quite work out. And then all the arrows are at me. It's like, what was that about? Where he feels like he's pulling teeth and it's just, it's very awkward and uncomfortable and I feel terrible. And, you know, so a lot of times we vet it out now more than ever. If there's someone that hasn't been on the show before, no matter who it is, we'll, we'll go to YouTube and we'll, we'll go to different sites and see what other interviews they've done and how did they sound on other shows. You know, you can talk to a, a beat writer or a columnist. How, how is so-and-so as an interview? If you ask an agent or a PR director, they're not gonna necessarily tell you the truth. They wanna get the publicity and get their client on. But you don't want to have those every once in a while you get that awkward. It's like, oh, this is not going anywhere. And it's not even a negative subject matter or some uncomfortable topics being discussed. It's just that person's just not comfortable doing interviews or they don't understand that you got to kind of talk in full senses and, you know, engage. Engaging is a very important thing. Personality, fun, storyteller. Reggie Miller is the Barclays of the world. They're fantastic. They just, Doc Rivers was just on recently and you get these old stories about behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, it's just, it's so awesome. And again, I'm working on the show and I'm, I'm like so engaged and I'm like a fan of the show that happens to be working on the show. And you get lost in that. If, if it's a good, strong enough guest and conversation, I'm having a good time here. I'm like, I'm leaning in in my seat at my desk there. And I'm like, like anyone else that would be tuning in. I may have happened to be on the show and I booked that guest and, you know, I take some pride in that, especially if the interview goes well, but I'm like, I don't know, this is great. I like, I would be, you know, I'm getting paid to do this. We're talking sports. None of that's lost on me. I'm still the kid in the candy store. I'm not sure who the first person to use that phrase was, but that's, it's not lost on me. What we do for a living, you know, people's escape is sports from their miserable jobs or things that they're doing just to pay the bills that may not be a career. And we're, we're doing, we'd be watching the game anyway. Now I'm doing it as homework, as research for the next day's show, who to get on the show. I'm what, I'd be watching the Heat Warriors game anyway, but now I'm also watching because, you know, maybe we should get Tyler Hero on or that was a controversial call. I got to see if we can get Steve Kern. Like, so I'm like doing homework while I'm doing, you know, fun things that I would be doing anyway. And I'm sure you feel the same way so being surrounded by people in the sports world and having this as a career, which you love and you're getting paid to cover sports. And I don't know what's much better than that. And then the other thing is 
people that will send us notes on social media or they'll leave a voicemail or I'll get a text or an email saying, or they'll tell Dan live on the air when we take a phone call. And I just want to tell you guys during these tough times with whether it's the pandemic or they were sick or something happened to a family member or friend that they look to our show as a way to uh, escape all that and laugh and have a smile on their face that they may not have had or they had surgery or whatever. You know, you hear all kinds of stories and somehow our little show in Milford, Connecticut is making people laugh or forget about their problems for a while. That's pretty powerful. And again, not lost on me and the whole kid in the candy store. I'll, I'll be talking to John Elway, my hero, and I, I, when I've booked him or Nolan Ryan, two of my favorite players, and then I'll put them on hold and cue Dan that the guest is on the line i'm like i just even if it was for two seconds like i just spoke with john ellie what great is that like i grew up screaming at the tv rooting for this guy and now like i'm meeting him at a super bowl at radio row whatever i'm I'm, like booking these people i have their their cards i've collected their cards and shoe boxes and now i'm like talking to them or i have their phone number i'm booking them on a national radio tv show it's it's still bizarre to me and i love that bizarre again kid in the candy store feeling about that it's interesting that you mentioned it doesn't have to be the a-list star and you don't have to be a comedian to be a good le- good guest but in my opinion the best guest you guys have ever had is an a-lister and is a comedian and that's will ferrell i was just curious if you could tell me about the time he took a trip up there uh how that came to be and what your involvement was that in that and and basically how it manifested to be one of maybe the greatest episodes of a ra- sports radio show of the century that was insane like uh, and dan got to know him i guess over the years and we've had him on the show a few times and i don't know if they were in any movies together per se but somehow they developed a relationship i i guess helped coordinate i don't remember how i don't want to take more credit than i should for what my role was but we got to talk with him and uh, it was probably dan's idea saying you know would you be willing to be in character or maybe the uh you know, the, the movie PR said, you know, we can get him out there. We're going to be in New York. We can make a quick stop in Connecticut and you can be in your, you know, in your anchorman gear. And, and then Will Ferrell ended up like producing the segment. He told us what he was going to do. He was standing outside of remember with like a box of donuts and like apple juice or apple cider or whatever. And this was all like his idea pretending to be lost, like, and putting it on me that I gave him the wrong directions. And like, and we were in the middle of downtown Milford above a subway anyway, before we moved into our, you know, palatial new, uh, new studio. Uh, over the last uh, year or two, but we were just above a subway and, and Will Ferrell dressed as Ron Burgundy is standing in the street. People starting to gather around because it's Will Ferrell and they recognize the character with the mustache and the and the burgundy sport jacket and everything. And, you know, it was just a wild scene and he came up and then he's giving us ideas for how we can introduce him and how to bring him in. And he was going to, you know, should he stay in character the whole time or, you know, or do it for part of the time and then be Will Ferrell. But if he's all dressed up as Ron Burgundy, he might as well just be Ron Burgundy for the entire time. But I love guests like that. But again, personable, funny, um, thinking, it's amazing how quick on their feet some of these comedians are. They're not just funny with something they wrote or someone wrote for them that they memorized and performed on stage. They're genuinely quick on their feet. You've seen them on the talk show circuit or whatever, and they're just genuinely funny. And they just like, and I don't things just come to them and of what to say and play off of the other person. And for him to do that shows his relationship with Dan and how much I guess hopefully he likes our show as well to go out of, out of his way. And that show would have, and that wasn't going to change how many people are going to go see the movie by much because he dressed up as Ron Burgundy and came on our show. It gives it some nice extra publicity, but I don't think it was going to dramatically change the number of millions of dollars that movie was going to do either way. But for Dan and for the show to come in and do that and help produce how we're going to do it and, and ideas for what it's going to look like outside in the street and, and on the air, just I love people like that. But yeah, if you can get the A-lister that has the sense of humor and the person I gets 
our show and, and Dan and the, the feel of our show, then it's a home run. But those are few and far between. There's not a lot of Will Ferrells and Adam Sandlers and Charles Barkley's and Reggie Miller's in the world. You know, you, you can dig deep and try to find them. But if it's the if it's the columnist for uh, you know someone covering the Razorbacks or it's the beat writer for the Cubs, so be it. If that's what needs to be covered, and those people are great too, and they're very important to the show, even if they're not the so-called A-lister that's going to be uh, you know booked on a late night talk show or something like that. We're just as proud and excited to have them on if they have some uh, some insight that we need to share with our audience. And then finally, um, and this is a very selfish, self-serving one, but with your, uh, you know, with your history, what would you, what advice would you give someone like myself or someone who has a, a smaller microphone per se, when it comes to finding the most interesting guest for their show? Is there, is there lessons you learned when you were kind of at smaller outlets or you wanted to build something from the ground floor that, that you apply, so, that you would, you would share with, with people out there? Absolutely. I, I've been fortunate in that, you know, and I, I'm well aware in this business, you got to bounce around sometimes in a lot of different markets. And, you know, we all have our horror stories and paying our dues and working crazy hours to impress people. And sometimes you're working these off the wall hours and the, the people that make the decisions on hiring or raise the project aren't even there. When I started at FAN, I was working in the middle of the night. I could be the best tape op in the world and edit things just right and, and just do the greatest job. But I'm working like 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. I'm long out the door before anyone that would even know what I, they'll, they'll know if I made a mistake, if I edited something wrong or, or with the slightest mistake, there'll be a note in my mailbox that I screwed something up or the cart that they played that had the audio on it didn't sound right or whatever it is. So I'm like, how am I ever going to move forward in this business if I'm only working like these crazy hours, the program director, the general manager, all the big shots, I never even see them. But, you know, I, you, you persevere and you keep working. You hope the right people are going to recognize you. Before what you're saying, I started at WFAN in New York, and then I went to KMPC in L.A., and then it was up close in Hollywood with Roy Firestone, and then, then it was ESPN in Bristol. So, I, you know, and that, again, that's not to be a broken record, but it's not lost on me. That's not how it works. I'm very fortunate that the right people found something in me that, and I grew up in Brooklyn, and I was able to get an internship in New York. But to do New York and then L.A. and ESPN and, you know, and not have, and, and, you know, to be in the big markets and on the, you know, on the worldwide stage of these networks and these big time hosts, that's a big deal. So it's harder for me to answer that question because I've been very, very blessed that I went right to the two biggest markets in the country. But what I would say, it's still the same attitude and approach. It's like, what is the stories? What, what are the topics? Who can I get on? Who can, you know, shoot for the moon if you don't get that person? And, we, and to this day, we still talk about that. Dan Patrick show or some station in the middle of wherever that, you know, may not have a big, as big a stage or as many affiliates. What are we trying to accomplish today? Let's make a list of who we want to have on starting with, we'll never, you can't have that attitude, we'll never get that person because you never know. My example, not to toot my own horn, but it's a, a worthwhile example is, and after doing that, which I'm about to share with you, I felt like anyone that's alive, I can track down. I booked OJ Simpson on Up Close. If you remember back in the day, Chris Myers did like a 45 minute live and the whole world obviously is going after OJ Simpson. And granted, the PR person that I dealt with thought we were going to maybe talk a little sports, but when I had O.J. Simpson on to reminisce on his Bills days or USC or his Hertz commercials or whatever, or his movies. So once I, I was always confident in my abilities, but once we landed that and we got O.J. Simpson to come in and do a live 45 minute interview in, in like 96, 97, whatever it was, when like the whole world was literally, that's the one person you, you imagine getting that person on. And he walked through our production group studios on uh, Vine Street in Hollywood 
and and all the attention it got and, the, and all the networks and CNN analyzing every facial expression, every word he said to Chris. Um, if you remember any of that back then, that was kind of a huge deal. That was like the biggest get for me ever. And after that, I'm like, I'm going to always go after everyone. I, and if it doesn't work out, then again, who's the next best person to get? Who's the next best person? Okay, this person may not be a big name, but he wrote a really good column about that. That person covers that team every day. He's there. He, he can. He or she can answer those uh, those questions. And, and again, it may not be the juicy name to have on a show rundown when you're promoting your upcoming guest, but so what? We're, like, we're, we're doing our job and we're serving the audience. You're not going to get Wayne Gretzky every day or the Michael Jordans or the Tiger Woods or Joe Montana, whoever it is. You know, some days you will and some days, you know, it's okay. We had A, B, and C on, but it doesn't make the show any less enjoyable or, or less informative or less entertaining. And that's just, that would be my approach. You know, it was always, the, what are the topics? What guests can we surround those topics with? Dan always says that. We'll shoot for the moon, but we can't get frustrated or discouraged if we can't get A, B, or C, because there's always D, E, F, or G. And if we and if it's not the right guest, then you know what? We don't have a guest. We don't have to have a guest. We'll talk about it amongst ourselves. We'll take phone calls. We'll read tweets, emails. Let's not force somebody in just so we can check a box that we had a certain number of guests on the show. That's not how we operate. But always, and always being very polite, and sincere as far as the actual communication with whoever you're, you know, unless you have the, the numbers that I don't, that I've been doing this over 30 years, unless you have everybody's direct phone number and you're not supposed to really do that anyway and go through them directly, you should really be going through the proper channels. And just be very, you know, again, genuine, respectful. When I get off the phone with someone or they get an email from me, I always think about, I hope that somehow puts a smile on their face or there's a positive thought that comes with seeing my name pop up in their inbox or when they see a text from me. I would hate to think, you know, it's like when you go into a room at a party or something like that. And when you walk out of that room, you would hope if people are talking about you behind the back or you would hope they'd say, I like that guy. That's a good guy. Or just, you know, I, I, for whatever reason, maybe I'm super sensitive and caring what other people think. But I think in what I do for a living, it's, it's imperative that I care about what other people think. If they're going to go out of their way to try to track down that guest for me, you know, there better be a good relationship there. Sometimes I'll get a note back and I wonder, did they even ask the person? I'm sure that's come across uh, your mind too. And a lot of producers and, and people in this business are like, wow, that was a quick note. Did they even bother because then you end up seeing that person maybe down the road and say I love your show of course I come on so why don't I but the PR person agent gave me a quick no and not interested or unavailable and but but that could also mean that person was just being polite because you know when they see you in person they don't want to say that they didn't want to come on the show my mind goes in a million different directions but ultimately I want my name associated with positive things and the only way I'm going to be able to do my job to the best of my ability is if I'm respected and liked by those that I need to work with to get to, the, to get those people on the show that we need and want to have on. And I, and I will do that for, I don't care if you're the, uh, the columnist or beat writer or someone that's maybe, again, not considered an A-lister to, to John Elway's and Joe Montana's and whoever it is. It's, uh, it's very, very important. And that's, I just, you want your name associated with positive and anything you do in life and any career you have, I think that's a, a good way to be. What, what's to be gained by people disliking you or not trusting you or finding you to be a pest or annoying or whatever, but I have to smooth that out. And if I, if I ever feel like there's a problem with uh, someone or they're uncomfortable with how something went or a communication, I will go out of my way to try to rectify that because I'm only as good as my relationships because I can't get to a lot of these people on my own. So, and I have to make sure whoever that middle person is, they know that I have their full appreciation and respect. And that's, I hope that answers your question about the proper approach and who to get on and how to handle 
you know, different personalities. Some PR people I can joke with because I just have that relationship with them. Others are more straight-laced and serious and you just gotta, kind of, it's just all black and white and there's no room for kibitzing or joking around. And, you know, I make a mental note. This one I can fool around with and joke with. This one, just get to the point and get out of their way and see if they can help you out. And that's, uh, that's just the approach. I wanted to make sure that everything was crystal clear for Kevin because with him throwing things at him is a bit like being a volume shooter. You just gotta, you gotta keep, uh, you gotta keep even and hope a few find the basket and, and that's fine. That's, that's where we are. And we're, and we're, and we're happy with that and we're good with that. So anyway, where was it? I, I sought out a different perspective. Here's Danny Zetterman an executive producer at ESPN 1000 in Chicago. He's a content creation dynamo who has booked thousands of guests onto the Windy City airwaves. How does one become a booker of talent? Well, I think it just becomes comes with the job, right? So like when I got into doing this, I always wanted to go into talk radio, sports talk radio. I had a guidance counselor when I was in high school and I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And she's like, what could you do for eight hours a day for free? And that was like in the heyday of the score here in Chicago. And like the Dan Patrick show was picking up steam. And I was like, I could easily work in sports talk radio because I could talk about sports or listen to people talk about sports for hours. And I always had a passion for talk radio that came from sitting in the backseat of my mom's car. She would drive and listen to Howard Stern or Steve Dahl. I remember when I was a little kid listening to things that most eight-year-olds probably shouldn't be listening to. So I knew this was the route I wanted to go down. And one of the parts of the job is booking guests for the show. And that's something that I kind of had to learn on the fly. And early on, I remember the first number I ever had was Psycho Steve Lyons. Remember him? He, uh, the baseball player, pulled his pants down when he got to first base to tuck his shirt in. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I have to interrupt you because I'm one of the precious few people who was watching that game live. Growing up in Michigan, I remember watching it on pass. I remember Dan Petrie was the pitcher, I believe. Look at you. I went over to, went over to cover first base, and I was watching it live with my family and my parents, and he pulled the pants down. And I remember my, my parents acted like this was this incredible thing that had happened. I feel like I was seven at the time. I was like, what? That's just what you do. That's so funny you had mentioned Psycho Steve Lyons. So that was the first phone number I had of any athlete or anyone in the sports world. And the way I got it was when I started working in the business, an older producer gave it to me. He said, I'm going to give you a phone number. And he gave me Psycho Steve Lyons phone number. I'm like, what, what am I going to do with this? Put Psycho Steve Lyons on every time I work? And he's like, no, this is now a currency. You're going to use this to trade with other producers. So when I first got in the business, the way that it worked was if I had a phone number that you might want or need, and you had a phone number that I might want or need, we traded them like baseball cards. It was a great, it was really a lot of fun because you'd ask your friends, Hey, do you have, you know, I the second number I got was Stacy King. And this was, you know, Stacy King, a world champion bull. This is a big deal. This was before he did the color analysis for the bulls games. So you would trade, you'd be like, all right, I'll trade you Steve Lyons. Can you give me Stacy King? All right. I don't have Steve Lyons. I'll trade you for that. So that's how you kind of slowly build up your Rolodex. And that's how I, you, you know, when you're in the business of sports talk radio, your Rolodex is everything, the phone numbers you have. And still to this day, I'll trade phone numbers with guys all the time. I'll get a text from like Randy Merkin who works at the station with us. And he'll be like, do you have this guy's number? And I know, okay, I'm going to give Merck this number in a couple months or a week or, you know, a year, I might need a number and he'll owe me one and he'll give it back to me. So, you know, that's how you start accruing phone numbers. 
And it's just part of the job to book guests, whether you want to do it or not. And I remember early on in my career doing this, that was the worst part of the job because I would go into a show and be like, shit, I don't have anybody booked. Nobody got back to me. And you feel almost as if you let the show down and the host down. How do you get over the initial nerves of reaching out and asking if number one, the person themselves can join you or the representative uh, will you please come on the show? I mean, where, how did that fit in your personality? Were you always outgoing or did you kind of face a level that, of um, self-doubt that you had to get through uh, the first few times that you did it? No, I have, I have a bolder personality. Um, my dad would always raise me and say, the worst thing that could happen if you ask is someone say no. So I always had that in the back of my mind. So I was never really worried about asking someone to come on. You know, and text messaging has really changed the way we book guests today. And at this point, if I called someone to come on the air, they're never going to answer, right? Like, when's the last time you picked up your phone if you didn't know who was calling you? So texting really changed the way we book guests today. But back in the early days when I would call somebody, like your heart beats and you're nervous, but that's because it's like adrenaline. Like you want them to answer because if you do get them on the phone and you do get them on the air, it's a huge accomplishment. And once I got them on the phone, I felt like, you know, this is where being a good salesperson comes into play. I felt like I could convince them like, Hey, this is good for you. This is good for us. It's going to be a quick conversation. We're going to have some fun and a lot of laughs. You know, we're here in Chicago. They want to hear from you. I kind of got a rush out of, of the whole calling people and, and convincing them to come on. And if they turned me down, yeah, I would get pissed off, but I certainly would try again. What are some negotiating tactics that you found yourself going back to repeatedly in order to convince people or to convince their representative that it is a worthwhile use of their time to come on air? And, and how does that differ depending on the show that you're trying to do it for? Well, I think like having access to Chicago airwaves is a huge thing. And that's a selling point in and of itself. And I worked for ESPN for a long time till we were bought by good karma brands, but we still have those four magic letters. And that goes a long way. You know, if you get a player or the represent representative on the phone and you say, they're going to be on the radio in Chicago, they're going to be talking to somebody on the four letters, the ESPN network. This is a good thing for their career. They can get their message out. They can raise their Q rating. It's something that will, in the long run, help them be more visible. A lot of times, that's all you need. But if I would get a person on the phone, if I would cold call, so like, let's say we were doing the show and I decided, hey, we've got to talk to Brian Erlacher today. And I would pick up the phone and call him. And, he, and I was lucky enough that he would answer. At that point, my goal was to not get him to hang up that phone. And I would say, come on, it's a few minutes, we'll have some fun, it's a couple laughs. And my standard line was always, Chicago wants to hear from you. Come on, Brian, Chicago wants to hear from you. Don't do it for us, don't do it for the host. The fans want to hear from you. And nine times out of 10, they wouldn't say no to that because they realize they're in the business of appealing to the fans. You know, I haven't thought about this from every angle because I haven't taken a deep dive on it, but hearing you say that makes me, see the connective tissue between the job of a show booker and the job of a salesperson. It, what you're describing almost sounds like you're being groomed by, uh, by Jordan Belfort in the, in the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> yeah, I start pounding my chest and humming. And now for some monetized content. How do you know when you're pressing too hard? How do you know when you're not pressing hard enough? And how long does it take you to get a real feel for how to do that with different types of people? 
Well, I, I think that comes down to reading people. I think one thing about booking guests or really anything that, that I do in my day-to-day job is reading people, right? So like I'm part babysitter, I'm part content creator, and I'm part, you know, salesperson in the fact that I'm, I'm reading the room and I'm reading the situation. Now, when it comes to me, I don't ever take my foot off the gas. So like, there's never a point where I'd be trying to convince a person to come on the show where I'd put my foot, take my foot off the gas until they hang up with me or tell me to go fuck myself. I'm going to try my hardest to get them to come on the radio show, because in my mind, what do I really have to lose? You're either going to come on and entertain the audience, which is my goal, or you're not. But if you're not going to come on, it's not because I didn't give everything I had to get you to come on the air. So I've, I'm foot pedal to the metal the whole time, two speeds on or off. There's no, there's no in between. And hopefully I can convince them to come on with, you know, reading the room, appealing to their, you know, to their sensibilities that, hey, the fans want to hear from you. People want to hear you talk today. I wouldn't be calling you if we weren't interested in you. So why don't you come on and kind of give the people what they want? Kind of play. Everyone's got an ego. So in a small way, you play up to that ego. Never get contentious. Never get argumentative. Because remember, they're doing you a favor unless they're a paid contributor, which is a whole different topic. They're doing you the favor by giving you seven to 12 minutes of their time. How do you go from at a certain point when you are a lesser known show, it's you're basically begging people to come on when the script flips and the people and people want to come on the show, but you don't think that they're a good guest. How do you learn what the best guest for your show is? The best guest for your show is a willing participant, right? So like we, I like to consider the shows I work on just like a bunch of people sitting around a bar having a conversation. If you have a guest on that's giving you one word answers, not a willing participant. There's no point to talk to that guy or gal. If you have a guest on that's acting like they're doing you a favor, that doesn't want to talk about certain topics, that doesn't want to go down certain roles, that's not a good guest for the show. And if you have a guest on that gives you parameters, don't ask me this, do ask me this. That's not a good guest for a show. When, when you get a hold of somebody that's willing to pick up the phone, sit down and talk about anything, nothing's off limits. Ask me whatever you want. I'll do my best to answer it. We'll have a conversation. I'll laugh. Maybe I'll get pissed off. That's the best kind of guest. And you have to take a mental note of who those people are and who they aren't so you don't go back to that well. And booking guests gets really easier when you have a a relationship, right? So you get somebody on for the first time and they enjoy the conversation. You enjoy the conversation. You know the audience enjoys the conversation. What I'll do is send them a quick text. Hey, that was great. Outstanding. We'd love to do it again. And hopefully they'll remember that it was a good experience for them. So when you reach out again, they're more willing to come on for that second time or that third time or that 12th time. I spoke with Todd Fritz, who does uh, the booking for Dan Patrick's show. And one of the things that he told me was that you don't want to get blinded by pure star power where there's real value in having the newsmakers on, but if they're going to be a dud when it comes to the conversation, you shouldn't have them on just to have either a guest on or the biggest name guest, because ultimately people remember the quality of the conversation that they had, uh, not so much the, the size of the name on the marquee. Is that something that you agree with? Yeah, 100%. Uh, Todd's, Todd's the guru when it comes to guest booking, so I'm not going to disagree with him. He could write the book. I will say that... So we never want to have a guest on for, for guest's sake, right? There are some guys with huge names in sports that are terrible interviews. 
there are some benefits to having that person on, right? Like if your show, for instance, my show in Chicago, seven to 10, right? So if I book one of those huge name guests, that's a bad interview at 935, at least from seven to 935, I could promote that guest is coming on. So there is a little bang for your buck there, but once they come on and it's a flop, what are you really getting out of it? So, you know, my, my whole my whole way I approach guests has changed over the years because I'm more of a less is more type guy. Give me one guest to show that's a home run rather than two or three guests to show that are going to hit singles and doubles. Is it easier to find one guest who's going to hit a home run than it is to find three guests that are going to total four bases? The home run guests are hard to come by because everyone wants them. You know, those are those those people are the people that are getting the calls and the texts multiple times a week to come on multiple shows across the country. That's again where it comes back to relationships. If if they know that it's going to be an enjoyable experience for them and they know that you truly appreciate their time, like the, the whole thing comes down to time. They're really doing you a favor by giving you your their time for seven to 12 minutes. If they know that it's appreciated, if they know that the audience appreciated it, they'll be more apt to do it again. Um, so it, it's harder to find those home run guests. And once you find them, you need to make a mental note, like I'm going back to this well again. So you're not getting out of here without me asking about some horror stories. I'm not going to ask you to name any names, but can you think of any situations off the top of your head where you found yourself in a scenario that you wouldn't have ever imagined? This is my favorite booking story ever. Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers. Great guy. Outstanding guy. I think this was 2011 Super Bowl, Dallas, Texas. The Packers are in the Super Bowl. We're on Radio Row. And Wayne Larrabee is nice enough to sit down with us. I'm producing the Carmen Yerko and Harry show on ESPN radio in Chicago. Wayne Larrabee is walking around radio row. We've got a nice relationship with him. I run over to Wayne and I say, Wayne, I know you're busy. You're the voice of the Packers. So everyone on radio row wants a piece of you. Can you give us a couple minutes? He comes over and he sits down. The second his ass hits the chair, I see Adam Sandler. So I run over to Adam Sandler. Now what I'm hoping to do is have Wayne Larrabee talk to Carmen Yurko and Harry. And then after that, he gets up, Adam Sandler sits down. But I get to Adam Sandler and I tell him, you know, my name is Danny Zetterman. I'm from ESPN Radio in Chicago. I would love to get you on for a few minutes. And he goes, okay, right now. So now I have to walk Adam Sandler over to Carmen Yurko and Harry. Wayne, Wayne Larrabee's mouth hasn't even come close to the microphone yet. Like they're welcoming in. He isn't even saying hello. And I have to take the microphone out of his hands whisper in his ear, Wayne, I'm so sorry, but Adam Sandler's going to sit down and not, you know, everyone's got an ego, not crush his ego, not embarrass him, but sure as hell, I'm not telling Adam Sandler he's not sitting down. So that, that, that's my favorite all-time double booking um, story that I have. It was awkward, but it was funny and we got a great story out of it. And thank God Wayne's a good guy that he got a kick out of it. Another very memorable day I have, it's not a horror story, but we were going to go on the air. It was a Carmen Yurko and Harry show. We were about to go on the air. The show started at 2 p.m. At about 1.45, our boss comes down to the studio and tells us that former bull great Norm Van Leer, who also worked with us, had just passed away. For a long time, Carmen DeFalco, who hosted the Carmen Yurko and Harry show, and Norm Van, Neer, Norm Van Leer hosted the Bulls postgame show. So Carmen and him were very tight, and Carm was very, very shaken up. So we go in to do the show, and now it goes from the show we planned to doing a Norm Van Leer, remembering Norm Van Leer show. Like we were going to talk about Norm. I was going to try to get a few guests on. 
in that four hours, I broke the news to Jerry West. I broke the news to the big O. I broke the news to some of his former Bulls teammates. So I'm picking up the phone, calling guys that I think may know that Norm had passed and hope they could come on to share a story about him. And I'm breaking the news to them that he passed away. I remember I called Jerry West and I told him and he said, you're going to have to call me back in 15 minutes. I have to compose myself. And that's one of those days where I was like, this is incredible. You kind of get to see people, the two sides of people. You get to see the off-air side of people and you get to see the on-air side of people. How do you understand what you're going to get when it comes on air by speaking to people off-air before? See, sometimes you don't, right? So like what I try to do is, let's say you're going to come on the show. I'll call you about three minutes before we're back from commercial break and I'll kind of warm you up. I'll have a conversation with you. Hey, Kyle, what's up? How you doing? I'll inform you of what we've been talking about all day. I'll inform you of what we want to talk to you about and I'll kind of feel you out if there's anything you want to talk about. I'll get you ready and I'll inform you who the hosts are and what their voices sound like. So you go on the air and it sounds like you're a friend of the show. Most times, People respond well to that. They have conversations with me. It goes back and forth. And when they get on the air, they're a little bit warmed up. I'm kind of like the fluffer in that way, right? There are occasions where I'll get somebody on the air, somebody off the air, and I'll try to warm them up and I'll get one word answers. Yep. Okay. Sure. And I won't know how it's going to go. I'll think to myself, this is going to be a horrible interview. They'll get on the air and it will be magnificent. It'll be a great conversation. They'll have listened to everything I said. They'll use it if it pay, you know, if it makes a difference for them or they won't. But it seems as if they've got a good grasp of the show. Then when the, the host puts them back on hold and I go to thank them, it's back to one word answers. Yep. Okay. So there's certain people that can turn it on and off with the red light and certain people that just enjoy having a conversation with me before and after. And it's the same on the air and off. You never really know what you're going to get. You're just hopeful. But if it's one of those people that give you one word answers, on the air, then you know, okay, we're not going back to this well again. What's the sense of pride you get when you envision a guest that's going to be good and then you execute it and then that person was really good on the air? How does that make you feel? And is it a unique feeling compared to being the person that's on air? Um, you know, it, it gives me a sense of pride. Like as a producer, every segment matters to you, right? Like there's no throwaway segments. Every segment, somebody's listening. Every segment, you want to be the best. So when you book a guest as a producer, if it's my idea, I, I think we should talk to this guy or gal because he or she is going to advance the story. They're going to give us some knowledge that I think the audience is either going to be entertained by or learn something from. Those are the two most important things. Entertain the audience and educate them. So if I give them something that's going to educate the audience or entertain them and that guest comes through, I feel really good about myself. And then that ends the second the next segment starts because the next segment could either be a boom or a bust. So, you know, you can't get too high or low on how good a guest is. Now, what I do enjoy is is with guests developing that relationship. So you get the guy or gal on one time and he or she is really good. And then you can develop the relationship to where you know, if we're going to talk about this subject that he or she is great in talking about, and I text them in the morning or the night before to come on and they say yes, then you know, okay, I've got a solid segment coming on. I actually feel better about that going into a show than I do after the interview's over. I had one more call I wanted to make. Danny Wazaki is in content strategy at NBC Sports Chicago and has a long history as a show booker. 
She was at the ready with a lot of things that Kevin should start doing right now. What do you think are some really basic tips for someone who's trying to learn how to get good guests for their podcast, TV show, or radio show? Good guests. Well, I think the guests are, that's the easy um, thing to figure out of who you want on the show. The trick is how you are going to contact those people. And that's always the challenge and the fun part um, because you have to get creative. And really, I always say, if, like you, you throw so many things onto the wall and see what sticks. And sometimes you might get a lot of people who say back yes or a person's like, oh man, I saw like an email from you. I got a text from you and like a LinkedIn message from you. So I know that you were really trying to get a hold of me. Um, so that's, that's always a good thing because they can't say no to you three times. Um, and then sometimes, you know, it'll be, you know, you'll get nothing back. So, um, those avenues of trying to get to the person, um, is how you have to get creative. Um, and I mean, social media has made it really easy um, over the past 10 years. When I first started booking, Twitter was around, but, you know, it, it has just evolved so much. So um, that has really made it easy. And then two, whenever, the longer you do it, the more numbers and contacts you're going to collect. So it'll get easier as your Rolodex gets built. And now let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. You mentioned you got you had to get creative in, in booking guests. What are some creative ways that you've uh, found out uh, either contact information or convince people to come on a show? Well, it has, as I mentioned earlier, when we get on booking is um, my job description right now. I still moonlight as a booker because I feel like once you're a booker, like it's always going to stay with you and people are always going to keep coming to you for contacts or numbers or guests. Um, so that's always going to be in your DNA, but um, I can reveal some of those like secrets of the trade, I guess now, now that it's not my like day to day, but I feel I mentioned um, social media, social, how that's a big part of getting in touch with people. I'm not one to go straight in for the DM. If you're working with a media journalism type or journalist type person, they're much more apt to respond to your direct message, your DM. But if you're dealing with like an athlete or a celebrity type of bigger name player, like that's just going to get lost in the dark hole. So what I like to do is I'll look to see who I'll take an athlete, for example, who that player is following, because then from those contacts, you'll see maybe his marketing firm or his agency. Um, you know, you may know an athlete is with CAA, but CAA is a really, really big company. And if you just call straight up, cold call them, that'll get lost and you're on a time crunch. But if you see, hey, they're following so-and-so at CAA, you know that's their direct point of content. So that can give you um, someone to start with and you can DM that person directly. Um, other fun ways like tips that come up with are if you have someone's email um, and, you know, email's great, like people are checking their, their email, but they're not checking their email as much as they would their text message or their iMessage. So I always, if you have someone's Gmail or like their standard email address, that's probably connected to their iPhone. 
So you can um, send an iMessage with that Gmail address and that nine times out of 10 is going to go to their iMessage. And, you know, if it doesn't, it'll show up green and you know, okay, that's, you know, their standard email address. So, I mean, there's good, there's good ways to connect with that. Um, you know, dealing with anyone internationally, which I've had to do a lot with like baseball players, um, they're going to be more inclined to use WhatsApp than iMessage. Um, so different ways of knowing how to reach out and, and contact people. So getting creative is, um, is always, you know, a challenge, but it's a fun one. How often does it happen and how do you deal with it when you reach out and someone responds back, how did you get this number? What's the, what's the, uh, what's the next step there? And is that something that you've encountered? Oh my goodness. All the time. And like, you do have to be respectful about that one. If they say, how do you get this number? You know that it's the right number, which is a good thing. Um, if it's no response, you know, and you're ghosted, you, you just don't know, like, is that an old number? Is that the wrong number? Like where, where is that? But other ways that I'll sort of check to see if it's the right number is I'll go back again. I'll check WhatsApp to see, cause WhatsApp's connected to someone's profile. So I'll search that number on like Facebook or WhatsApp or even Snapchat to see if it's tied to a person that way it sort of confirms. Um, but you know, I will, um, you, you know, you say, oh, I've got it. I, I had it in my phone or we had it from a phone number database. Um, but it's always that question. You can skirt your way around. It's always a bummer and you're put on blast when someone else, you give a number to someone and they tell you, they tell that athlete or player that they got the number from you. So you're like, oh, um, you don't always because essentially I think the rules of the game with other producers or bookers, you rarely ask them for um, another contact or another person's number. But in those some cases you do and you get it. The text always right after they send you a number is always, hey, you know the rule. And the rule is like never say how you got the number. But in some situations, um, you know, someone will say, oh, I got it from Danny or I got it from so-and-so. And the worst is that player, you know, you see them in the locker room or they text you or they text you saying like, hey, why are you giving me a number out? That's when you're like, oh, you know, that that's the worst part. So when you're on a show that has cachet and is known and kind of sells itself, it's one challenge to get people to come on when you are doing something for a smaller outlet or something that's looking to make a name for itself, what are some tools or tricks or attacks that uh, a booker could take in order to convince people to come on a show that might not be the biggest in a market? Well, I think that's also market shows also have its challenges too, because they're they're highly aware and in tune to what the bigger media members are saying. Um, they also may not like our reporting coverage, so they're going to have more opinions and be more inclined to say no as well. Um, you know, I David Kaplan and I are so close. We worked together for 10 years. He's one of my dearest friends, almost like a family member. And he'll tell this story, too, that we had. It was when the NFL draft was in Chicago. He was doing some media for FedEx. And um, 
we knew that Cap really went after Forte. And um, Matt was actually on our football after show um, for a few years. So they have, they have mended fences and, um, and are all good now. But at the time, there was some um, animosity towards each other because Cap doing his job was really cr- critical of Forte. So when he became available for um, during the NFL draft and was doing media, I was super upfront with the PR agency handling it. I said, hey, Cap's doing the interview. You know, do we want to like, you know, just a heads up on this. And the PR person didn't run it by um, Matt, which also happens too, because you can get a lot of no's and you can read between the lines that this was a media relations rep call or a PR person's call that they didn't really ask the guests like, hey, do you want to do the interview or hey, this person's doing an interview. Are you okay with that person? So um, we end up doing the interview without cap. Another talent was going to do the interview and we were going to run it in a different show. Cap's working out at East Bank across the street from our studios. And as he's, as we're about to do the Forte interview, the PR person tells them like, oh, it's going to be with this talent. And Forte goes, oh, not, not um, David Kaplan. I wanted to talk to that guy. I wanted to confront him. So we have about three minutes with our window to go over and get Cap to do the interview because that's going to be for great TV and they can really like hash this out, hash this beef out on air, which is interview gold. So I run across to East Bank and I'm looking at all the treadmills, which East Bank is a big health club in Chicago, but um, I'm looking at all the treadmills and I go and run pull cap off of it and I say you need to do this interview he's wearing his shorts and gym shoes on the bottom and throws on a you know shirt a button up and a suit coat to do the interview and it was and it was great and it ended up being you know picked up by a lot of different outlets and was the big story of the draft weekend um so you know those those types of things um you're going to have but at the same token for a smaller outlet too I would be also be really careful of um, your Twitter and what you're saying um, about different players and athletes, because when someone gets a outlet opportunity, the first thing that they're going to do is check the Twitter accounts of who's doing the interview. And if you blasted the athlete, if you blasted the athlete's friend, if it's an agent um, and he sees, you know, maybe that you've talked wrongly about his of some of his players that's also going to have the same impact that you might not think of oh that's uh that's distressing and troubling news that sounds like uh we're gonna have to delete some tweets and some posts around here. <laughs> yes yes so can you tell me about some of the horror stories or if not horror um situations where you would have been in where you're like nobody's gonna believe that it got to this Right now, how our current environment is, a lot is on the phone, over email, DMs, texting to get guests. And as things get back to normal, I think the best stories um, are really that happen on site um, that you, um, because a big event, whether it's an opening day or playoff game or championship, you know, playoff series, you're going to run the stakes are higher because it's a bigger audience and just a bigger overall game in general. Um, So those are the ones where you 
are really when your boots on the ground and when you're in person, um, you're going to make more things happen just because face-to-face -face is always better than over the phone or text. So some funny things, when the um, Blackhawks were in the um, either 2013 or 2015 Stanley Cup final, we knew that Vince Vaughn was going to be at the game. And if Vince Vaughn has always been like our Mount Rushmore of guests because he is such a big, iconic Chicago sports fan. And um, I remember being, uh, he was doing an interview with NBC Sports and we were going to walk, um, walk him over to our set to do an interview. So I'm standing by the side of the stage while Vince is on um, the national broadcast and I'm making small talk with this guy and his friend who's with him. And I'm like, oh, how do you know, how do you know Vince Vaughn? Um, it's like, oh, we're friends. We met in LA, very generic, yada, yada. We've done some work together. I'm like, oh, what's your name? And he's like, Tom. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, oh, um, and then I think I asked him his name again because I couldn't hear the crowd was so low. So as we're leaving the roped off area for the TV to walk Vince Vaughn over to our set, which is, you know, maybe 50 feet away, all these fans are asking for photos with this guy. And it's Tom Morella from Rage Against the Machine. So I'm horrified and so embarrassed that those things happen. But, um, you know, you just got to pretend if you're in those situations that everyone is famous and everyone's a somebody from, from what I have learned. Um, you know, another one that I, I love, we always do for our championship parades, we will do um, a celebrity commentator. And CM Punk has been great to work with. And um, he's done the Blackhawks parades with us. He's done um, the Cubs 2016 parade. And right when the Cubs won game seven of the World Series in 2016, and it's pouring rain out on the field, and we're trying to get all these interviews with players, we get a text message that the city of Chicago has um, has decided that the parade is going to be on that Friday. So we have less than 24 hours to plan our parade coverage. So because of 2016, and there were so many celebrities surrounding the Cubs and on the field celebrating, I'm running around to all these celebrities, whether it's Bill Murray or Bonnie Hunt um, and John Cusack, seeing if they would be a part of our parade coverage. So that was, we, John Cusack was a part of our coverage and he was awesome and, and made it very memorable. But, you know, running up and cold calling people while they're in the midst of the celebration is, is a little bit cringeworthy. Yeah, I think just at a very basic level, I, I'm curious what it's what is it like to cold call people? And and when you started to do this, were you self conscious about it? Were you nervous? And, and how do you get over that initial um, barrier uh, to a, to a point where you're comfortable doing it uh, regularly every single day? Well, when I just started. I was 22 and they had me going to Chicago sporting events and asking players and athletes and celebrities and big name people to be on our sports-based talk show. So I just couldn't believe that this was my job. Um, but I, so I, I had, I didn't know anything and I was so clueless about how a locker room worked, how, you know, the unwritten rules of, you know, asking players something or asking media people something. 
So I didn't know those things. So um, that, you know, I was just able to go guns a blazing that now when I look back that I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe like I had the nerve to, you know, do those things to walk up to, you know, Derek Rose after he missed it, after they lost to the heat in the, in the, in the Western Conference final and have him come on the show. Um, so I feel like that all comes all comes with time and practice. And then lastly, what type of, um, what does it feel like to land someone who turns out to be a great guest? Oh, that's so great. And it's, um, and it's awesome because I feel like it's, it's a great feeling, but then it's also when you're working on a daily show or a weekly show, you always want to top it and look forward to the next and how can we top it. So you keep track of those wins in your head, but you always have to know what's, what's the next, what's the next one going to be. And it helps with you, you know, your, your stock and your street cred, knowing that you're able to get um, a Mike Tyson or Peyton Manning. Um, I still have never gotten Michael Jordan. I have tried. I've embarrassed myself many times whenever he's been at the United Center or golf chair celebrity events the writer cop um but he's he was the big whale i was never able to get and now here he is again the man with many jobs kevin allen getting the story isn't always easy In 2009, I was working for a well-known publication, and I was chasing a story about an athlete who had fallen on hard financial times and was auctioning a championship ring. This isn't the type of story you necessarily want to cover, but it's intriguing. Readers are interested in these stories. Maybe it's the schadenfreude. Maybe it's the thought of owning a piece of sports history. I'll be the first to admit it wasn't Pulitzer material, but nevertheless, I pursued all angles. One of those angles had me questioning whether any of this former player's teammates might pony up and buy the ring and give it back to the player. This led me to seek comment from a well-known Chicago sports figure who I deeply admired as a kid growing up in 1990s suburban Chicagoland. I wanted to know whether this person, who always tended to have a certain air about him, would be bidding on the ring. An editor shared with me the convoluted path to contacting this person's rep, and I gotta say, I jumped at the chance, man. As it turned out, the prominent sports figure had a representative who handled all requests from reporters like me. It's a smart move, right? Put some distance between yourself and the riffraff reporters who pandered to the hoi polloi. So I contacted this representative. Let's call him or her Debbie. I started by emailing Debbie. It was cordial, professional, and knowing me, I'd probably use some stupid self-deprecating line to try to win them over. Within moments, the phone on my desk rang. It was Debbie. Little did I know, I was walking into a real hornet's nest. Over the next few minutes, I learned that if her client's name appeared in my story, that my employer would A, never get another quote from her client ever again, B, never be able to print her client's name ever again, and C, never be able to print her client's jersey number ever again. Further, she promised the following for my career. 1. I would never work in this town or any town ever again. 
I would never cover either of the sports this human played professionally ever again. And three, I would never be allowed to type the two letters that comprise this man's initials ever again. Okay, so I'm exaggerating a little here. Suffice to say, this person was so convincing that the only thing to make it into my story was a line that said, essentially, some of the player's former teammates have declined to comment for this article. Debbie, if you're listening and you know that I'm referring to you, please know that no one in my life to that point was ever meaner to me. And no one has been meaner to me since. My hat's off to you, Debbie, and know that I'm happy that our first and only dance was our last. The Kyle Coster Show is written by me, Kyle Coster. It's produced by Sean Daly. Art by Kevin Gomez. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.